Welcome back, Richard. It's it's good to see you. Good morning. Happy. Uh, what is it? December, middle of December. Yeah, it's the the week before uh, the big weekend. We yeah, barreling barreling toward the end of another month. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. And you know, in, in this time of year, there's there's a lot of celebration. There's a lot of um, excitement and activity going on, uh, but there's also a lot of stress. Right. You know, this yeah. this time of year, and um, we this is the bridge to the topic that we have for today, Um, which, you know, came a couple of articles we, we was, we were reading over the course of this past week or so. And um, found some really interesting things talking about just where we are in mental health, where we are in society, where we are about how we feel about different things. And we've talked before about our concerns about diagnoses and, you know, just the case of uh, everybody having a diagnosis and everybody being concerned that they have a diagnosis, but yet there's also a lot of stress and, you know, a lot of challenges that we're experiencing societally. And so uh, we thought we would talk a little bit about some of that today. Right. Yeah, because people, um, these topics of, you know, do I have ADHD? Do I have, is this depression? You know, I'm feeling very anxious. Um, does does my partner have OCD? Um, all of that comes with, you know, we, we tend to think of these things as individual personal disorders, but um, it might be that we're just living in very stressful times and we're simply reacting to the environmental stressors that uh, we know are all around us today, you know, um, income insecurity and that sort of thing. And that also contributes to these feelings. So it it may not be, it may not be a. We may not have to move toward a um, specific psychiatric diagnosis. It could be something else at work. And this is a good time of year because certainly the pressure increases. We said in a, a few weeks ago in a podcast that, you know, most of us are already overextended, and then you add a major holiday to that. Right. We just don't have the, you don't have the time or you don't have the time to do all that you're being, that, that you're asking yourself to do. Absolutely. I, I was talking to a patient earlier this week and she's kind of experiencing a, a dip in her mood. It's a little bit of depression. Right. And she says, you know, I, I have no idea why. And, and I just, we paused and I just, you know, there's a lot happening right now. There's, you know, with, with, between family, between the holidays and the way that, mm-hmm you're expected to, you know, feel, and then the way that you actually feel and thinking about the past and the future, there's so much that happens right now that, yeah, we're, right. we're under so much stress um, right. and stress sometimes that we put ourselves under um, exactly. yeah. expectations that we feel like we have to meet right. that. Yeah. We, we all are at risk for taking a bit of a dip in our um, mood this time right. of year. Right. But it doesn't, it may not be that you have a diagnosis. Um, it could just be the stress around you. Yeah. Yeah. People who have, you know, December 15th was for most people, the last day of school before the uh, holiday season right. begins. And you can see parents, parents of young children, they're just, they, they just wanted to make it across that finish line and have a huge sigh of relief because, okay, we made it through the last week of school before the Christmas holiday. And it's like there's this, this is cumulative sigh of relief you could hear go up in all these parents. Yeah, so. I was I was meeting with a with a mother on um on Friday, and um, I, I said, "So are you ready for the for the holiday break?" And she says, "I have until three o'clock." 
get as much done as I can. <laughs> so That's we right. Had just a few hours left before the kids would be home for the. And they're going to descend for two weeks, <laughs> and it just becomes busier. You know, they so they're, they 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 struggle to get through the end of the first semester, but then they have these two weeks of increased activity. You know, so right. there's no relief for, no relief in sight. Well, and, but I think that that's a great that that's a great um, uh, segue to the the real focus of what we're going to talk about today, which is right. you know in this time that we're living in, where there's so much societal and environmental stress, mm-hmm. one of the groups that we don't necessarily think of immediately when it comes to some of this is, is teachers. You know, we're, we're talking about students and we're talking about parents, um, but the the person in between or involved in all of that oftentimes is the teacher. And there's a great article from the uh, National Education Association. It's written by uh, Tim Walker. Um, and it's entitled, My Empathy Felt Drained, Educators right. Struggle with Compassion Fatigue. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we think about compassion fatigue when it comes to like medical professionals and sort of people on the front line of, of medical care and, and, and trauma care. Um but I think that thinking about compassion fatigue fits very well with thinking about teachers. That's right. We we tend to think of compassion fatigue, which is different from burnout. Um, right. Burnout and compassion fatigue are different. Um, burnout's far more serious, um, but but compassion fatigue mm-hmm. is unrelenting, and we typically associate it with first responders, um, firefighters, police, or uh, ER physicians and nurses who. Who are or, or soldiers, combat uh, people in combat who experience this day after day after day after day, and you get this thing called compassion fatigue, which is a state of exhaustion and dysfunction, and and you feel it, you feel it in your body, you feel it in your emotions, and you feel it in in your relationships. Um, it results. It comes from that prolonged exposure to stress. Um, right wherever the stress is coming from. And it's the cost of caring. Um, yeah. Most most nurses, doctors, police officers, firefighters, they do care. Uh, they, they, they are invested. But the cost of caring can be compassion fatigue. And it's and it's mostly this feeling of this this deadness, this this exhaustion, and a loss you have a loss of interest in helping others and feelings of hopelessness because it's just like patient after patient, problem after problem after problem. And you think, "How I just can't keep going. Right. So we typically associate that with healthcare professionals. Right. But what we're becoming aware of now is that teachers mm-hmm. also experiencing what we have to consider is compassion fatigue. A- absolutely. Because, you know, again, if we, if we, we think about, the way that things are supposed to be, the way that things always have been, and the way that things typically are, is is that teachers teachers do really care about their students. That's now, right. And when you're thinking about compassion fatigue, what what we're really talking about is that that the stress that comes from being a caregiver or a companion or a person that is nurturing or taking care of someone else, mm-hmm. and that, that's why it's healthcare professionals and, and those kind of and first responders and things, but it makes sense for teachers as well, because teachers are responsible, you know, who is responsible for teaching your child or making sure that your, your kid is, is getting the skills and knowledge and information that he or she needs. 
right. it's the teacher and, and the, all of the blame when a child doesn't succeed so much of the blame has more recently been shifted towards the teacher and so teachers do their best and then when it doesn't work out or when let's just be honest sometimes the child doesn't do the student doesn't do the, what he or she is supposed to do hmm. the, the teacher is still the one to get blamed that's right and, and that went on for a while even before the pandemic Exactly. That started back in the 90s when um, they called it educational reform. And the idea was, is we're going to we're going to evaluate teachers, teacher effectiveness. Okay, and if your students don't make a certain amount of progress, then you might have a salary reduction. You might lose your job. You might have to be supervised. It may not. It's not the teachers. Teachers don't have that kind of control. Mm -hmm. But yet. What happened during those years of no child left behind and high stakes testing and we're going to evaluate teacher effectiveness is that it was teachers were put in the spotlight and said, well, it must be the teacher's fault right. if the kids aren't making adequate progress. And it, and it may it, it may well be that it's not the teacher's fault. Right. But, but suddenly teachers were thrust into this position. Today, we see the same thing happening with librarians. Right. You know, where suddenly where there's all this uh, news about librarians and, and you know, allowing um, banned books to be on shelves. Um, but so we shine the spotlight on teachers and librarians and other workers. Um, and now everybody's everybody's, uh, you know, they start to complain about teachers and it's the teacher's fault. Right. Um, that creates that spotlight creates compassion fatigue. Absolutely. And and if you think about all the things we ask teachers to do, That's right. um, you know, we ask them to to teach students. And again, let's just let's just say it, let's call it for what it is. Oftentimes we're asking teachers to teach students things that students don't want to learn, don't necessarily want to learn. Um, there's not a there's, there wouldn't be a huge line at the door for, you know, eighth graders who want to learn algebra. There's just that's not going to be a long line mm -hmm. yet they're you know we're, we're expecting teachers to teach uh, a lot of these students algebra um so the students aren't really interested but yet the teachers are responsible for for teaching this and the teachers are responsible for managing their behavior and the teachers are responsible for making sure that all the other students are safe from all the other students you know right. um right. and and this the teachers are responsible for mitigating and managing students emotions and and stressors because of things that are happening at the student's home that right. the teacher has no idea to what's going on or how to how to make so teachers are in this state where we're asking them to do all these things all the while mm -hmm. we're living in a culture that is devaluing education devaluing right. learning mm -hmm. uh, it, it's putting you know uh, um sort of celebrity and um you know, exaggerated lifestyles um, as the as the top goal over over any other type of achievement, certainly academic achievement, mm -hmm. um, you know, electronics and, and social media over, you know, any face to face interactions or physical activity. I, yeah. I mean, we have a we're, we're living in a time where everything or very much um, much of the things that we're doing in life works against what we're trying to accomplish. Absolutely. We're you know, trying to accomplish. When you think of what we ask, before you criticize a teacher, think about what we're asking them to do. Think about the, the challenge that every teacher is facing. 
right. in, in today's culture, in our country's culture. And, and you mentioned several, you know, um, we devalue learning. We, we right. you know, we see it. We, well, we saw it with the pandemic that we don't believe in science. We're not going to listen to the scientists. We're going to, if you don't listen to the scientists, who are you going to listen to? Um, Richard, we, how can there be so many people on, on, whether it's on TikTok or YouTube or wherever, so many people like arguing for the, for the, um, for flat earth like right. it that is gaining gaining a following like that it makes no sense but we're we're we're, we're valuing this i sensationalism right instead of looking at true science and, and and just goodness the reality of the world around us right right we're believing in flat earth yeah <laughs> which we discovered for five or six hundred years ago that it's not flat Right. We didn't we didn't sail off the end of the earth, but yet that that's that's coming back, you know. Um, so we don't value science, we don't value knowledge, um, we value celebrities, we value, you know, if you ask most talk to most middle school kids, what do you want to do when you grow up? Nine times out of ten, it's good. I want to be an influencer. Mm -hmm. That that looks like the easiest thing to do is just, right. I don't need to go to college. I don't even have to finish high school. I can just, I want to be an influencer. I want right. to play video games. I want to be a professional video game player and you have pay to watch me play. Yeah. Um, when you talk about electronics and social media, that's where people, that's where youngsters are today. Um, and, and as, so, so we have kids coming in who have no real intention about learning anything. They don't want to be there. Number right. one, they think it's a waste of time. There's too much dead time when they go to school. How many times have you heard kids say, well, I can do homeschooling in three hours. Yeah. Otherwise, I have to sit in school for seven hours and waste right. my life. Right. That's how they say it. it's a waste. Right. Um, we tend to treat teachers with derision. We, we, we treat them more like house servants than professionals. But of course, we treat professionals, other professionals that way physicians or nurses, right. um, people don't think twice about abusing or questioning them. So it's not just teachers. Um, we don't pay teachers enough. Um, we do that. So they're devalued that way. Um, and so, and now we have a new phenomenon where teachers are being threatened, coerced by elected officials to do what they're told to do. Uh, that's that's run amok in Florida recently where teachers have been intimidated and threatened um, if they don't do what they're told to do, not for educational reasons, right. but for cultural reasons. Right, and, and what's fascinating is that the, the, the just the, um, you know, I don't even know what word to use about it, but it, at the same time, we're, we're stressing and emphasizing the importance of, preparing teachers and educators to be trauma-informed. Right. We're not even recognizing sometimes the trauma that we're putting them through right. by, you know, I couldn't imagine being a teacher on a campus where a student or someone brings a gun to school. Yeah. I mean, that, that would be terrifying. Right. I, I couldn't imagine being in a position where you know that if you say a certain, certain words, that your your entire career could be taken from you. You could lose your license for saying the wrong word. Right. Like ah. and and for people who have had, you know, difficult upbringings, difficult lives, 
you you add those kinds of threats and demands on them that it can be very triggering it can be very um you know it can be very traumatic for them that's right so so you see this teacher who has this impossible she has all these students coming in who don't want to be there who aren't going to do what they're asked to do they they have no intention of learning anything um they want to be on their phones they want to be on their devices um what the, the, and they're resisting in, instead of cooperating they're resisting so they have the students on one hand angry parents and now you have elected officials who are threatening them because of the language that they use right so these teachers are these teachers are uh, in this very very almost an untenable mm-hmm. position um and it's little wonder that they be they begin to experience compassion fatigue because they're getting it from every corner i don't know what it's like and bernie you know some teachers and you were in the district recently i don't know what it does to teachers for them to watch a school board meeting where parents are in there screaming about banning books or whatever they th- these personal agendas that individual parents have what does it do to teachers morale when they see those those those, those uh, i don't even know what to call them where parents are just screaming at school board members or, or school board members are screaming back right so, yeah it, it's it, it, i mean it's very um demoralizing and it's very um, it's, it's very difficult because you have, you certainly have those teachers who, who, like we have said many times before, this is what we're arguing about, but there's all of these other problems. There's all these other issues that we should be dealing with, but we're talking about, you know, whether or not we should ban this book mm-hmm. that, you know, if we really look at it, five students in the past year have checked out, you know, right. we're going to spend an entire school board meeting talking about that book. Right. So, so yeah, it's, it, it's very uh, demoralizing. So, but yeah, you know, there was an article, there was an article published this week about Florida's SAT score, the SAT score, SATs, class captain. Yeah. Um, Florida ranks 47th in the country. We're one of the wealthiest states in the country. We rank 47th. Nobody's addressing. Right. You know, why did that happen? Um, why is it that, that one of the wealthiest states in the country ranks 47th on a college preparatory to a college uh, entrance exam. You know, who's talking about that? But we're we're talking about other things. There's a lot of passion about some things. um, But what about that? What about, what about the achievement of these kids? These are high school kids who we're we're trying to prepare them for something after high school. And we rank 47th. Right. Yeah. yeah, nobody's, nobody's talking, nobody's about, talking about those things. But right. you know, so so when it comes to teachers and their their experience of compassion fatigue, I, th- I think that you know certainly individually they could use support and some assistance and and you know talking with them whether it's a mental health professional or a coach or something right. to help them through some of it. But there's that there's things that the rest of us can do as well. And, and I think one of the important things is we need to stop. We need to, you know, take a deep breath, step back, and just stop blaming teachers, my goodness, right. for everything. Right. We we act as though teachers are in the classroom and in walk, you know, kids who have completely clean slates that aren't influenced by anything else in the world. And they're walking in eager to learn, eager to to gain whatever information the teacher is going to present and and just is, is going, ready to absorb it all as long as the teacher does his or her job they're all ready for it and, and it's just not the case 
That's right. That's right. And, and the biggest problem is whatever exists outside the school exists inside the school. We, we've talked about that for two generations now yeah. that you, you can't keep the culture out of this, uh, out of the classroom. And it doesn't matter whether it's TikTok or Snapchat or Minecraft or an AR-15, whatever is outside the school is inside the school. And, and teachers and principals have to deal with that. Right. Kids bring that, kids bring that into the school. There's no invisible shield around a school. Right. Um, what's outside the school is inside the school. Doesn't matter whether it's drugs, guns, rap music, right. what exists outside comes inside. And teachers simply can't control that. They have no control over that. There's right. no way that they can control that. Right. Um, we have a law in Florida. You can't have a cell phone in the classroom. They do anyway. I mean, right. you just can't police these kinds of things. Te- well, teachers can't be expected to police that. And, and what's so, what's so, you know, just funny, but not not like ha-ha funny, but just ironic funny is, is that so many parents will complain about their kids' cell phone use and, yeah. and managing all of those things and their access to all that stuff. But then they get upset with the teachers if the teachers, it, when the students aren't doing what they tell them to do or aren't behaving the way that they're supposed to behave. And it's like, you have, you know, two kids, you have three kids and you, you're having a hard time managing them. You know, the, in middle and high school, those teachers have, you know, 150 students and you want them to manage 150 students right and, right. and get them to all behave the way that they're supposed to and do exactly what they're supposed to. I mean, it right. just, and you can't even make the argument while they're trained. No, it doesn't matter how well you're trained. No. When it's 150 against one, <laughs> even <laughs> if they're coming 25 at a time, it doesn't right. matter. That's right. And those kids have all the same stressors that they bring from home. I mean, they have all the same stressors that everybody has. Right. So it's not like they're, they're quiet, cooperative, eager little learners. No, they're bringing in all the stuff that, that exists outside the classroom, outside the school building. Right. Yep. Now, um, another, another thing, you know, so we can help by, you know, kind of pulling back and, and stop blaming teachers for, for all of this. The other thing is we have to recognize some things that sort of on the, on the political side perhaps have contributed in right. whether that's, you know, we've talked about no child left behind before and, Mm-hmm. Um, the, the the consequences of that perspective, because Richard, I don't know, I don't know when the last time you talked to anybody about Nickleby, but um, I just had someone recently, you know, share with me that they still believe that like every student, meaning every student, should be able to read at a third grade level by the end of third grade, mm-hmm. and and we have to ex- you have to explain statistics like it's not possible. Right. For every right. student to be able to read at a third grade level at the end of third grade. It, I mean, there are students and I'm sorry, folks, for for those of you who who this is hard for. But there are some students who won't learn to read because they can't because they can't. Right. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Now, we, we have lots of strategies to help with it, but there will be some students who will not learn to read. That's right. And it's not always the teacher's fault. Right. But yet teachers were held accountable for doing the impossible. Right. And they were punished. Schools and teachers were punished 
if those students weren't reading at a certain grade level, something they have, the teacher has no control over. If a student decides, if a student can't read or a student decides he's not going to learn to read, there's right. absolutely nothing a teacher can do about that. Right. That's, that's not, that, there's nothing that they can do. Right. Absolutely. Um, learning is a voluntary process. It's a process that takes active participation. And if a student decides not to, there's nothing that anybody can do about that, parents or teachers. Yeah. Right. Now, the, um, another, another political side of things is, you know, when we keep thinking about tax cuts and, right. and where funding goes, you know, mm -hmm. we, we send an awful lot of funding to certain things in our society and, and in our culture. But education isn't necessarily one of them. No, it's not a priority. In um, fact, some of these voucher systems do the exact opposite, and they're taking money out of the public education system. Right. Yep. Um, you know, every every election cycle, and we have a big election cycle coming up uh, in 2024. Um, every election cycle, you hear politics, you hear people running for office talk about taxes and tax cuts. And what you have to remember is that taxes support education, police fire, the infrastructure, rebuilding roads, rebuilding bridges. When, when taxes are cut, educators get hit first and hardest because school budgets get reduced and there's no way to make extra money. And so now we have these voucher systems and they're failing in many states, many states of Arizona, for example, Many states who have already implemented vouchers because what's happening is money is taken out of the school budget and given to individuals uh, who may or may not need that money. In Florida, there's no income requirement. Uh, you can make a, a, a $50,000 a month and you're still entitled to that uh, $8,000. Um, but, but, but the $8,000 is taken from somewhere. Where is it taken? It's taken from the school budget, which is already insufficient. Okay. Right. We don't pay our teachers enough. We don't pay our cafeteria workers. We don't pay our bus drivers enough. These are people who do this valuable service and who right. are underpaid and undervalued. So right. every time a politician talks about tax cut, my skin kind of crawls because I think, oh, well, that's another hit to the school system. Right. Yeah, so, absolutely. And, and and that's another, just one of those big issues that we could do we could do to help with this compassion fatigue is, you know, thinking about our elected officials and, and how, how they're not supporting teachers the way right. that the teachers need them to need to be supported. That, you right. know, they're seeing more, seen more as opposition. Yeah. Uh, they're seeing more as, you know, adversaries than they are right. seen as people that we need to support and allies that are working, you know, working for the same goals and missions that we're all working for. Right. I think of the of, of all of our elected officials at every level, I mean, from school board to to governor, it doesn't matter. If you're an elected official, part of your responsibility is to make things better, whether it's education or it doesn't matter what it is. Your job is to make things better. But recently, it's like the elected officials are the biggest critics, you know, instead of helping to say, what can we do? to make your job better? What can we do to make your life better? Instead, it's the elected officials who are becoming some of the severest, fiercest critics of these frontline um, educators, these classroom teachers. Absolutely. And, and I think that the, the last thing that we can consider or, or, or should think about is 
you know, we, we live in a society, as we've talked about, that has all of this other influence, that has all this other noise that mm-hmm. is just affecting our every day. And, and, you know, even those of you who are not in education, who don't have school, school-aged kids, you experience it as well. You know, it's, it's the, the stress of the, it's like the nonsense that, you know, okay, now let's argue about um, CRT. Now let's argue about, you know, this issue or that issue, issues that really don't affect our lives at all. But let's, let's have these huge debates and arguments and fights about it. So we live in this sort of disordered culture mm-hmm. and we expect teachers to work and, and function as if they're living in, you know, this, this pure environment where, you know, again, everything is easy and, and just readily available whenever you right. want. And, and it just isn't the case. And so we need to support them as opposed to threatening them and, you know, and seeing them as adversaries. Right. You know, you mentioned, I forgot about critical race theory. I forgot yeah. all all that noise, all that consternation about critical race theory. But in the meantime, we have all these pro- real problems right. that nobody's addressing. And we have a fake problem, critical race theory, that gets all the attention and all the, all, all the attention and all the passion. Right. That's not where we should be putting the attention and the passion. We should be putting it in real places. And Teachers and librarians are not the enemy. Right. Um, n- nobody should should have the ability to threaten or coerce or intimidate teachers or librarians. We should be supporting, right. working with, let them do their jobs. Let's all support them to do this very, very difficult job that yeah. we're asking them to do. Right. A- absolutely. So a- as we as we wrap up, of course, the the I idea that we're trying to share here today is that, you know, educating our kids is tough. Um, yeah. and, and I'm telling you, there, there's, uh, I, I to often tell my friends and family, there is no way. Um, I, I, I couldn't see myself working in, in any of the classrooms that I, that I see and, and hear about. And it could just, it would just be incredibly challenging. Um, and so, you know, instead of working against some of these people that we, I mean, we put a lot of trust in teachers. And <laughs> if we're going to trust them at the right. level that we need to trust them, then, then we need to believe that they're going to do what they need to do, that what they've been trained to do, what they are teachers to do. Mm-hmm. We need to believe in that and we need to let them do their work. Right. And if they tell us that there's a problem, if they tell us that there's an issue, let's listen to them and believe them and support them instead of say, well, what are you doing to make that happen? Right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I I taught middle school years and years and years ago, but it was before cell phones. It was before social media. My job was almost easy. I had parental support. I had administrative support. I didn't feel any pressure from anybody except to do my job. I knew that I was expected to do this job. I never felt pressure from anybody to do my job. I can't imagine what it's like for teachers today because they're getting pressure from so many sources while they're being asked to do this almost impossible task of educating kids, many of whom don't want to be there. Right. Absolutely. And then we expect them to, you know, pay for their own materials and, you know, and, and take additional time 
you know, outside of their lives to, to, to prepare and to, but, but teachers do that because they care. Because and, they care. That's and right. We have to recognize that and, and, you know, support, support our teachers. And, you know, again, they, they, they have one of the most important jobs and one of the most difficult jobs. And we can at least do some things that we can do to make it a little bit more, um, manageable for them so do what do what we can to make their lives better and easier yeah. absolutely so think about that as we are finishing up this first semester of the school year and finishing up this 2023 and getting ready for um january and getting started with the last half of the school year we have we have another another opportunity to get it right in the second half of the year so absolutely all right well that is it for today until next time stay happy stay healthy and forget to be afraid.